the message tonight, the title I've given this message is this, a solemn warning. A solemn warning. Jude 5, one verse. Jude says, I wanted to remind you, though you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe or who did not continue to believe. Who did not continue believing. This little book of Jude, of course, is small, 25 little verses. But I'm really amazed at how much the Holy Spirit can pack into a few words. We'll take hours to drone on about things. The Holy Spirit is very concise. He can say a lot in a very short space of time. And what Jude has to say in this book, if we'll cling to it, if we'll listen to it, if we'll receive it, it'll keep us safe. The little book of Jude is an end time book. It's a, it's a prophetic book. It's a book that went beyond his day, all the way 2,000 years or so to our day, to warn us about something that was going to be happening in the end times. And we are in the last days, I believe, in the end times. And I read this little book and I've meditated on it and you know, just, just pick it up and just read it out loud, meditating. And I realize that the reason the Holy Spirit wrote this it's because he loves his church. And anything that would damage his church, he's going to cause the man of God to rise up and give warning. And that's what this is. Jude is warning us tonight. It's a warning. We need a warning. See, Jude wanted to talk about the wonderful salvation we all experience. I mean, I'm sure that he was meditating on Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. That was his half-brother, Jesus Christ. He grew up in the home of our Lord. Mary was his mother. Joseph was his father. But Jesus had a different father, of course. And he's thinking about salvation. He's thinking about the wonderful redemption that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he wanted, and he started trying to put pen, uh, quill to, to ink, or to paper, or parchment, or whatever he was writing on. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, stop, no. And every minister has felt that kind of prompting to do something. You just have this feeling that you need to do something. It's a compulsion in a sense or a, a sense of movement in your heart. You feel drawn to something. And all of a sudden, he said, I wanted to write about our salvation, our common salvation. But he said, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me. And all of a sudden, he gives a warning. And he warns about the false teachers. And he warns the false teachers. He confronts them in the little letter. And what happens is, after a rich introduction of verse 1 and 2, in verse 3 and 4, he calls them to arms. He said, it's time to take up God's armament. It's time to take up the armor of God. Why? The truth is under siege. The truth of the Word of God is being attacked. And then in verse 5 through 7, he warns the false teachers. He warns them of the judgment that's going to come upon them. If they do not repent. 
you rarely hear these kinds of warnings in our modern day from men of God. You, you very little hear these kinds of warnings. I'm sure they're out there and I've heard some, but they're very little heard, these kinds of warnings in our modern day. In fact, the truth of the matter is the subject of hell and the subject of eternal judgment is very little heard in our modern pulpits. But you and I need to realize something, church, and that's this. We need to realize almost everything we know about hell came from the teaching of Jesus Christ. Almost every detail, every nuance of hell and eternal judgment comes from the teaching of Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew 22 and 29. But I say to you, if you, whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, here's the words of Jesus, shall be in danger of hell fire. And then in 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it would be more profitable for you that one member perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Matthew 10, 28. Our Lord said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. The words of Jesus. Matthew 23, 15 and 33. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when you've won him, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Can you imagine preaching that to someone? Verse 33, he says, serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? And then in Luke 16, he gives a story and he says, and being in torment in hell, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Think about it. Preachers, think about this, preachers who have compromised the Word of God and preachers who, who tweak and tailor their sermons not to offend someone, they have really created a generation of Christians who truly don't believe the whole counsel of God. I was reminded of this many years ago when we, during the Halloween time, and I'm not a friend, I'm not a, I don't like Halloween, but anyway, we, we did an outreach and uh, we set a tent up in the church front yard, a big, huge tent, and we created rooms in there. And what we did is we created little vignettes, little brief, acted-out stories. And we depicted people. Some of them went to heaven, and some of them went to hell. And then at the end of it, we prayed for anyone who wanted to receive Christ. And it was called Hell House. They'd done them in different places around the country, and we did one. The next day, I was cleaning up. And uh, a lady drove up in her car. It was in the front church lawn. And the lady drove up. And I could tell by the way she was walking in her gait, she wanted to tell me something. And she came up to tell me how offended she was that we would dare do something called Hell House and how, how offended she was. And I began to explain to the lady. I said, ma'am, we're, we're trying to communicate to people that there is an eternity, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell. We're not just trying to be controversial. We truly care about the souls of men. And I said, ma'am, I want you to know hell is not a curse word. Hell is a noun. Hell is a literal place that people go to that reject Christ. And after I said all that, then she went on to tell me, what a wonderful Christian she was. She went on to tell me how she loves her church and how she tends faithful her church. 
And that little story illustrates my point that we have created a generations of Christians that are, that are ashamed of certain words of Jesus. They're ashamed of certain parts of the Word of God. But I want you to know I'm not ashamed of any part of the Word of God because it's all God's holy Word. Jesus or Paul said this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Notice, but according to their own desires... Tell me what I want to hear, preacher. Tailor your message so it's cute. Tell me a few stories. Entertain me. Don't confront me. Don't tell me I have to get rid of sin. No, according to my own desires. I want to go to a church, and I'm going to find me one that's going to tell me what I want to hear. Well, let me tell you, that's the wrong church. Because what we need to hear is the Word of the living God. It says here, because they have itching ears, they heap up themselves teachers. Notice this. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Do you know what a fable is? I wrote it down here. A fable is a short, fictitious story. Sometimes it uses animals, inanimate objects, or, or, or as characters to teach ethical or practical lessons. Just tell me an entertaining story. Pastor, don't make me have to think. Don't make me have to really listen. Don't make me have to endure in the Word. Just entertain me. Tell me something shallow. Don't confront me. And thus we have many of our modern pulpits. This is what Jude is dealing with 2,000 years ago. But Jude was not such a preacher. Jude was a man captive to his conscience. Jude was a man captive to the very Word of God. And he confronts the false teachers. And he warns the precious sheep not to be bewitched by them. And actually... I'm only going to get to one of these. But there's actually three stories here in verses 5 through 7. I only read verse 5. But in verse 5 through 7, we have the story of Israel. We have the story of the angels. We have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. There are actually similarities, similarities to these stories. First of all, all of them received blessing. All of them sinned. And all those groups experienced the judgment of God. You see... Uh, Israel received the blessing of God by deliverance from Egypt. Later fell. We'll talk about that. The angels were in the very presence of God. The very created beings, these mighty angels, they followed Satan and fell and were judged. Sodom and Gomorrah knew great blessing. You say great blessing. Ezekiel says this. They, they knew the fullness of food and the abundance of idleness. Sodom and Gomorrah were so wealthy and it was lush it wasn't like it is today when we went to Israel, barren, but it was lush. It was like a Garden of Eden. It was so, they were so wealthy, they were blessed, but yet they turned to sin and were judged. I want to deal with Israel tonight. I have three things I want to say about this situation of Israel. Let's look at the example of Israel. I have three things that I want you to really focus in on. Notice what the Lord said. I'll read the passage again. Jude said through the Holy Spirit, I want to remind you, though, though you once knew this, they all knew this, knew the story, we know the story, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. You remember the story, Exodus 12, Exodus 13, Exodus 14, the, slay, the blood over the doorpost, the death angel, all the ten plagues, the people going across on dry ground as the, the waters were parted. What an amazing miracle. But notice this. They came out of Egypt, but afterwards, see, it's the afterwards. Pastor, 
Oh, I went to church and joined the church. What about afterwards? I went to church and got saved. I went to the, I went to the crusade and got saved. I went to the church and got saved. I was whatever. Yeah, but, but after, what are you doing now? Are you continuing to believe? It said afterwards, they were destroyed. Those who did not believe. What does the Lord say to us about this? Three things. Number one, speaking to Christians tonight. Number one, sin is a serious matter. Did you hear what I said? Sin is a serious matter. Sin is a serious matter today in our modern day. Just as it was in the ancient times of Israel, sin is a serious matter. See, if you were to take one of those ancient Israelites that lived among Israel and saw all the things that happened and all the judgments and all the things they did, if you were to bring him back and we could put him before this camera, we would ask, Mr. Israelite, is sin a serious matter? He would have said, I was there. I saw what happened. I experienced it. He would say, preach it, Pastor. Sin is a serious matter. We know that. One of the characteristics of the false teachers in Jude's day was that they took a light view of sin. They didn't warn the people about sin. In fact, they did not only warn them, they dulled the people. They dulled the people with their soft preaching about the conviction against sin. Jude says it again. We back up to verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Here's what the false teachers were doing. Look at this. Who turned the grace of God into lewdness or lasciviousness, denying the only Lord, our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lewdness there means sinful abandon. It has to do with, with unrestrained by convention or morality. In other words, they wouldn't even be restrained by the Word of God. They don't want any laws or anything to restrain them. What the false teachers taught was that the gospel freed us from moral restraint. And that is a blatant lie. The gospel does not free us from moral restraint. The gospel cleanses us. The gospel doesn't bind us in sin. The gospel frees us from sin. The gospel is the power of God unto sozo, unto deliverance, unto redemption, unto freedom. We're free in Jesus Christ. That's not grace. We talked about that before. What the false teachers taught in Jude's day borders on the false doctrine that we hear today called once saved, always saved. One commentator said this, and I would agree with this. He said, the statement, I quote, the statement of verse 5, which I've read twice, the statement of verse 5 about the Lord saving the people out of the land of Egypt, then afterwards destroying them that believe not, refutes unconditional eternal security. Now, I don't know how you can dance around it. I don't know how you can explain it away. It says what it says, and it means what it says. What, it, what verse 5 means is sin is a serious matter. Number two is this. Don't underestimate the power of one sin. Did you hear me? Sin is a serious matter, number one. Number two, don't underestimate the power of one sin. Here's Israel. They've come to the border of Canaan. They're, they're at a place called Kadesh Barnea. They're, they're looking over, and they see it. And 
the Lord says, send, send the spies in. The 12 spies go in. And as those, ten, those 12 spies go in, they look at the land. They bring the grapes back. They see the walled cities. They see everything there. They, see, they said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's so rich and fruitful. The, the cattle eat the grass and give abundant milk. The, 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 the flowers are there. The honeybees are there. There's, there's honey because there's so much there. It's such an abundance. And then they come back. And the Bible says this. They brought up an evil report before the people. You say, what's an evil report? I'll tell you in just a moment. But they brought this evil report up. And the evil report, the gospel, now listen, the gospel that the ten spies preached was very powerful. Just like the gospel the false teachers taught in Jude's day was very powerful. This is why Jude is warning the people. He he realizes the power of false doctrine. He realizes what happens when God's people are infected with false doctrine, how it can damage their relationship with God. Just like the false voices, those ten spies, they brought an evil report, and an evil report was a contradiction to what God had said. God had said way back in Exodus 3 and 8, before they ever came out of Egypt, God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, Exodus 3 and 8. He says, I am gonna, I'm going to bring the people out. I'm going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm bringing them out. I'm bringing them in to a land. I'm giving it to them. God said you can do it. And the false voices, the ten spies, just like the false teachers in Jude's day, contradicting the word of God, they came back and said, yes, it's a land flowing in milk and honey, but we can't do it. We can't do it. The giants are too big. The walled cities are too big. It's a land that's going to consume us. We're all going to die. And like spreading of cancer, unbelief began to grip the heart of the people. Instead of having faith and rejoicing, they're about to go in. They began to weep and cry and panic and fear. It spread like a cancer. It spread like this coronavirus. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief spreads like a coronavirus. And it so infected the people. Joshua and Caleb tried to stop the people. And they said, no, 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 stop. They tried to steal the people. No, no, let's don't go the way of unbelief. We can take them. They're meat for us. We can do it. But the false voices won the day. Let me tell you something. The majority rule is not always the right way. I have found out that most of the time the majority is going the wrong way. Sometimes even in churches. But I want you to know there was two men. Joshua and Caleb, that they had to walk around 40 years, but because they believed God, they got in 40 years later. Notice this, what unbelief can do. The power of one sin. Notice this, Hebrews 3.12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief always takes us away from the living God. Unbelief always takes us from the blessing of God. It robs the church. It's only faith that can bring us in to the great things of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the reward of those who diligently seek him. So what happened? Now think about what I'm telling you. Number one, sin is a serious matter. Number two, don't underestimate the power of one sin and what it can do and the damage it can do. So what happened to Israel? Because of that sin of unbelief and that moment they wouldn't trust God. They wondered for 40 years. And I call it a 40-year funeral march. For 40 years, it led them away from God's will. 
40 years away from the promised land. I mean, they could have been enjoying it 40 years, but all these people are dying in the wilderness. The Lord had said this, that, that everyone 21, 20 years and up would die and not see the promised land, except the, the, the Joshua and Caleb would get in. I read where it's estimated with the, with the calculation, the general calculations of how many people there were, that there were 90 funerals every day for 40 years. Every day, 90 funerals every day, one long funeral march. I mean, that wilderness is full of bones of unbelieving Israelites. Don't ever underestimate the power of one sin. Here's my third point and my last point. I'll take a few minutes on it. But number one, don't underestimate the power of sin. Or don't, don't, sin is a serious matter. Secondly, don't underestimate the power of one sin. Here's my third point. Remember, sin always leads to more sin. If not checked, if not repented of, if not, if you don't turn back in repentance toward Christ, sin always leads to more sin. Just think about it. Here they are. Oh, it's just one sin, Pastor. It's just one sin. It's, it's just the sin of unbelief. Where did Israel go? Did they, that after the sin was committed, the one sin of unbelief, did, did they become more blessed? Did they become more holy? Did they, did they experience God's grace? Did they, did they bring glory to God? No. One sin after another. Sin begets more sin. You say, how do you know? You know, we got these folks that say, you know, the, the, I call them the you got to sin a little every day group. Anyone that has that doctrine that I got to sin a little every day doesn't know the power and the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice the sins that characterized Israel. There's five of them. It characterized the people of that generation. I, I'll, I'll read it. A fairly lengthy passage. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 1. You'll pick up the five sins. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud and they passed through the sea. That's the deliverance that Jude 5 talked about. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the spiritual food. That was the manna. And they all drank of the spiritual rock. For the spiritual rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. But, but notice, but with most of them, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, that 40-year funeral march. Notice, here's the sins. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust as they lusted. And, and do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and, and rose up to play. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them were tempted, also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by this destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Notice this, therefore let him who, st who stands, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. In other words... The same sins that plagued Israel are the same sins that we deal with in our modern day in the church. We deal with them today. 
I want to go through them quickly, and then we'll conclude in prayer. Five sins. First of all, it was the sin of lust. And that means the sin of craving. So, and God judged them. In fact, in, in Numbers eleven thirty four, he memorialized that judgment, and he called it the graves of lust. What is this? Here is the warning. It's a warning for believers who crave the pleasures and the things of this world. So think about this, church. During this corona time, how much time you spent in the Word versus how much time you binged on movies. Because I can tell you, binging on movies, taking time out of the Word of God, just, just doing worldly things. You know what it does? It shrivels the soul. So let me ask you, church, how, how are we doing right now? How are we doing in our hearts right now? Since the time that you were physically here and your pastor was ministering the Word of God in this building, how are you doing? Are you more on fire for God or has your heart become dull? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Have you been fasting, praying, believing? Have you been drawing near to God? Have you been reading spiritual books? Or have we been, or, or, or are our uh, desires for the world stronger? I can tell you, this kind of craving for the world, it shrivels the soul. Robs the church. Notice Jesus said this. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things entered and choked the word and it became unfruitful. What about the young people who, who are you know, staying on video games and they're not reading the word of God or, or, or people that are just doing unspiritual things, binging on movies and, and, just, and, and not praying and not drawing near to the Lord. I can tell you, it shrivels the soul. It chokes the word. Lust. Craving. So think about it. How strong is our craving for God? How strong is our love for Jesus? Versus how strong our craving for the world. That's why God judged Israel. The Bible said don't love the world. If, the love, if you love the world, the Bible said the love of the Father is not in you. Oh, but I'm a church member. doesn't matter. Oh, but you know, I, I, my, my parents go to church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What's in your heart that matters. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. What's in our heart is what matters. Lust. And then another one is idolatry. See, Moses is up on the mountain, and Moses is getting the Ten Commandments. He's getting the law of God. He's been up there so long, the people get restless, and they got restless. And all of a sudden, they, they, they made an idol. They made a golden calf. Aaron helped them. How did that happen? How does a man of God like Aaron help the people in idolatry? And they built this calf and they're worshiping idol. Let me tell you, the only kind of worship God will accept is true worship. And the only kind of worship that is true worship is found in the Word of God. Jesus said he wants those who will worship in spirit, in the heart, and in truth. We don't need an idol. We don't need a new cart. Now think about this. I've watched the church over 30 years implement everything and anything. Some of it might be good. I'm not, I'm not a judge of, of it. But I can tell you this. It's like everything. We, just impl- we don't pray about it. We don't fast about it. We don't get on our knees and search the Word of God about it. We just bring it in because some other church was doing Or it's a good human idea. Maybe it's idolatry. Maybe that's what it is. You know why? Because if you read the story in Exodus 32, what you find out is they were dedicating that idol 
and they were using it so-called to worship God. They dedicated that to the worship of God. They were worshiping God through that. They really weren't worshiping God. They weren't worshiping God. Because true worship, true worship will bring you into a certain character, a certain holiness. It will bring you close to God. False worship won't do anything for you. It'll lead you into pleasure. They were rose up to eat and drink, and they were playing, and they were in idolatry, and they sexual immorality. See, false worship lets you do that. The false teachers of Jude's day said you can do that, but it's not worship. God will judge it. It's idolatry. Think about it. Israel worshiped a self-made God created in a person's mind. They called it worship, but it was idolatry. Are we really worshiping God? Just ask yourself, is it true worship? Is it worship? You say, well, I like it. You're not the audience. Worship is the, it goes to an audience of one. Does God love it? Does it please Him? You say, what do you mean? Think about this. Abraham took Isaac. And he said to the servants, we will go, as old King James, we will go yonder and worship. And we shall return. And me and the lad shall return. We will go yonder and worship. So my question, were there any choirs? Was there an organ? Was there a piano? Was there mics? Was there drums? Was there, you know, lyres and, and you know, uh, harps and all? No, nothing. How can you go yonder and worship then? You, there's no music. Because he was obeying God. He was obeying the most difficult command that I could ever imagine. The only one that was greater is God the Father giving His only Son because He didn't allow Isaac to be killed. The lamb, the ram was in the place but yet in his heart God said now I know. It's, see real worship brings us into obedience to God. It's not just a feeling. Uh, you know uh, we're all about feeling in our modern day. Listen sometimes true worship is painful. The, most, the worship that blesses God and thrills his heart sometimes doesn't make us feel God feel good. It, makes us pain. it brings us into pain. We take up a cross with that, but it, it's a sweet smell to God. We need to be careful today. We, we don't know near as much as we think we know. And then there's the third one. Let me hurry. Fornication and immorality. Israel fell into immorality with the Moabite women. 23,000 died in this plague. The false teachers of Jude's day said it's, sexual sin will not affect your relationship with God. That's a blatant lie. That's a lie from the enemy. The scripture is clear about our sexuality. You hear me today. Every bit of sexual activity outside of marriage, the marriage bond, is a sin against a holy God. Every, you, whatever you want to name, if it's outside the marriage bed, it is sin and God will judge it. What do the true prophets say? Well, here's what Paul said. Do you not know? Do you not know? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Galatians says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentious, jealousies, bursts of, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, reveries, and notice, and the like. Notice, and w- of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now think about what I'm telling you tonight. Sin is a serious matter. Number two, do not underestimate the power of one sin. And, and number three, 
Sin leads to more sin if not checked. They, they tempted God. Tempt means, tempt means to push and try someone's patience. It means to, to see how far I can push someone. That's tempting God. That's what Israel did. The Lord blessed them and blessed Israel in an abundant way, miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet they kept sinning and kept sinning and kept sinning. And finally, listen, God is patient, but His patience has a limit. God is patient. God is loving, but His patience has a limit. Many people in our modern day have such a, a, a distorted view of grace. They say, they say, ah, you know what, I'll just sin. You know, God loves me. He knows how I am. He knows my needs. And they're living some wicked lifestyle. That's tempting God. You better know you're under the judgment of God. That's tempting God. We've got to repent. We've got to get our hearts right with God. The last one is murmuring and complaining. See, think about it. Sin's a serious matter. Don't underestimate the power of even one sin. And sin leads to more sin. Think about it again. Did did Israel become more holy? Did they become closer to God? Did they experience the blessing of God? No. The sin of unbelief led to all these other sins that characterized their life and destroyed them in the wilderness. Murmuring and complaining. Some believers in Israel were constantly complaining against God against God's methods, against where God was taking them and what God was doing and the way God would lead. They were complaining against Moses, God's representative. And as a result, God punished them. I think in our modern day, we have sanitized complaining. It's so prevalent. We think if somebody murmurs or complains or gripes about something, we, 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 we see it differently then God sees it. The correct way is what the Word of God says about it. We justify it, but I'm going to tell you, it's a sin in the sight of God. I remember one day, some time ago, many years ago, and why this young lady told me this, I don't know. It's actually embarrassing. But a young lady, she was actually a college student, and she told me, why she told me, I don't know. But she said, you know what, Pastor? And by the way, let me qualify. That, the people didn't go to this church. They went to another church. Praise the Lord. She said, Pastor, do you know what my mom and dad do? I said, no, I don't. She said, after every Sunday service, we go home and eat around the lunch table on Sunday, and they chew the preacher apart. They, they rip him apart. They criticize the church. They criticize the pastor. Let me tell you something. Those people are under the judgment of God. I wonder if those people ever read this. Nor complain as some of them complained. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Or, or, or Philippians, do all things without complaining or murmuring. Now I'm about to close. Remember what I've said tonight. Out of verse 5, one verse, I'm going to tell you this. Number one, sin is a serious matter. Number two, do not underestimate the power of even one sin. Number three, if not checked, sin always leads to more sin. I close with this. I don't know where this quote came from, but I thought about it this afternoon. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always make you pay more than you want to pay. I want to pray for God's cleansing in each of our lives. I want to pray that that God would make us holy. 
If if you're in some kind of sin in your life, you need to get right with God. You can't sin against God's clear teaching and think that you can sin with impunity. There's There's a consequence. God loves us. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood for us that we could be not only forgiven, but cleansed. If we confess our sin, notice he is faithful and just to cleanse, to, to forgive our sins and to cleanse, to forgive and cleanse us. We can be forgiven absolutely in God's mercy, but we can be cleansed and we can live holy and godly lives because the Spirit of the Lord lives in us. I'm going to pray for us. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, I pray for every mom and dad. I pray for every son son or daughter. I pray for every senior adult. I pray everyone that not only is watching this, but many, many who will watch later, who will click on and stumble upon it. Father, that in the name of Jesus, that you would bring such holy conviction upon those who are violating your commands. Some false teacher, some false pastor have dulled their conscience to the seriousness of sin. Lord, we know how serious sin is. Your, Your son, Jesus had to come from heaven and live 33 and a half years. And they put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And they put a crown down upon his brow. They, they pierced him with a spear. And he said, it's finished. He did it because of love. And when he raised on the third day, it was the just for the unjust. And Lord, you're calling us. You're calling us before your judgment hits, before the consequences of our sin reach harvest. You're calling us to say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me. I turn away from this wickedness. I turn away from this sin. I turn away from this evil. Have mercy upon me. Cleanse me. Make me clean. Lord, give me that peace that I miss. Give me that peace. Lord, my conscience is just... It's like an alarm going off. My conscience is bearing witness against me. Your spirit is dealing in love. And Lord, your word is bringing conviction. And Lord, I pray that your people would turn to you. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, then would I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Lord, let us as your people, let judgment begin in the house of God. Let us deal with the sins that we compromise with and and sins we make excuses for in our own hearts. Lord, I pray that you would do a work of cleansing so a mighty work of revival could take place. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we worship you. We honor you tonight. And we honor your word tonight. We are not ashamed of your word. Lord, we give this word without fear of any man, without favor. We could care less about the favor of men. We could care less about the approval of men. I don't want the approval of men. Woe be to us when all men speak well of us. Lord, let us rise up as true prophets of the Lord, calling a generation back to you, and even calling a generation of Christians who have been deceived by the false prophets, who who preach compromising message, who speak smooth as honey, but there's a death adder in their tongue. Lord God, I pray that your people would wake up from the deception, from the blindness. And Lord, I pray that you would do what Ephesians says. Arise and shine for your light has come. Awake, as Paul said. Awake from sleep. It's time to awake from sleep. God, I pray for revival. 
Why don't you that are there, these last moments we have together, let's cry out to God for an outpouring of His Spirit. I want revival. When we get in this building, we're not getting it. We don't want just a new building. We can, do, we can have a building here. We need revival. We want God to pour out His divine anointing. Listen, I've been in buildings before that had the anointing in them. It's strange to me. It's strange to me. I've been in churches that I walked in that were cold and empty as you can be. I've walked in churches that I felt like I entered heaven. Why? Because those people pray. There's a sense of God's residual presence there because they've invited His presence. They live in such a way that they don't grieve His presence. Father, give revival right there where you are at home. God, give revival. Pour out your spirit. Get our hearts where they need to be. Get our relationships where they need to be. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Father, as our brother has seen in a vision that the glory of the Lord, the great rivers of God were flowing off this property. Lord, let it begin in us. Let it begin now. Let it not begin when when we get in the building. Let it begin now. Get us ready now. Get us ready now, Lord. Do a mighty work. Pour out your divine spirit. Father, we won't settle for anything less. We cling to your word. The violent, take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violent. The violent, take it by force. Lord, we're going to cling to your word. We're going to be like Jacob. We will not let you go unless you bless us. We need your blessing. We want you, Lord. We don't want to be a part of some form of religious institution. We want to be a part of the life-giving church. We want to be a part of the church that the gates of hell are not prevailing against. Lord, God, pour out your presence with signs, wonders, and miracles. Testify to this holy word of God that you're a God that's alive. You're alive. You're alive. You're alive. And you're alive in Trinity Life Church. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your blessing. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. Oh, church, I believe the Lord wants His power to come upon us. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes. Just invite Him in your home. Maybe during this time your home's become a little dark. Maybe a a heaviness has come over your home. But listen, you need to fight those heavy clouds, spiritual clouds. Those are spiritual clouds. You need to begin to praise. You need to begin to put worship music on. You need to begin to read the Word of God out loud. Fight that, and and you'll see the atmosphere of your home change. Father, I pray that. I pray that that our, our homes will be filled with the presence of Jesus. Let the darkness flee. And let the light of your presence come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Oh, Jesus. Feel his presence here tonight. I feel his presence. I just can't be normal. I have no desire to be some kind of whatever normal church is. I want God. I want the power of the Lord. I want the grace of God. I want to know Him. And I believe that's what you want as a church family. Hallelujah. I don't know how long I've preached or taught or preached tonight. I've left my watch at home, which is fine. I could care less. And, uh, but I want to pray as we conclude tonight. And uh, just pray the blessing on you. I want you, to, I want you to remember 
the, the, the scripture the Lord spoke to me when we named this church. You know, we were talking about names and, you know, this and that. And nothing, nothing just hit. Nothing felt right. And I was reading in scripture one day. And I just came to that verse. God the Son is God. We believe God the Holy Spirit is God. And then I read that verse. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God. And the communion of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you soon. We're going to be opening up in the next week or two here. I'm going to talk about it with our leadership tomorrow evening. And uh, figure it out. I know it's going to be kind of a slow comeback. But uh, we'll be informing you. I love you church. God bless.